0: Episode 30. Here continues a brief review of trade during the plague, this time with an emphasis on domestic trade. The author discusses the provision of coal and foodstuffs to the city, and the general state of the trades, which naturally suffered tremendously during the visitation, but which rebounded following the great fire in the summer of the next year, which consumed not only households, but also the contents of the great warehouses along the river. In the aftermath of the fire, replacing those goods, including manufactures destined for the rest of England and for the continent, fueled massive re-employment. This episode also makes mention of the great coal-fueled bonfires that the authorities placed strategically around the city in an effort to ward off the disease. The author punctuates his account with a discussion of the difference between atmospheric and coal-fired heat. The former, he claims, sustaining vermin and venomous creatures that breed in food, plants, and even in our bodies, the latter assisting to clear and purge the air of noxious, disease-bearing particles. While he does not elaborate, apparently the public fires became such a menace in and of themselves that they were extinguished after a few days upon the vigorous protest of certain physicians. two particular trades were carried on by water carriage all the while of the infection, and that with little or no interruption, very much to the advantage and comfort of the poor distressed people of the city, and those were the coasting trade for corn and the Newcastle trade for coals. The first of these was particularly carried on by small vessels from the port of Hull and other places on the Humber, by which great quantities of corn were brought in from Yorkshire and Lincolnshire, the other part of this corn trade was from lynn in norfolk from wells and burnham and from yarmouth all in the same county and the third branch was from the river medway and from milton feversham margate and sandwich and all the other little places and ports round the coast of kent and essex there was also a very good trade from the coast of suffolk with corn butter and cheese these vessels kept a constant course of trade and without interruption came up to the market known still by the name of Bear Key, where they supplied the city plentifully with corn, when land carriage began to fail, and when the people began to be sick of coming from many places in the country. This also was much of it owing to the prudence and conduct of the Lord Mayor, who took such care to keep the masters and seamen from danger when they came up, causing their corn to be bought off at any time they wanted a market, which, however, was very seldom, and causing the corn factors immediately to unlade and deliver the vessels laden with corn that they had very little occasion to come out of their ships or vessels the money being always carried on board to them and put into a pail of vinegar before it was carried the second trade was that of coals from newcastle upon tyne without which the city would have been greatly distressed for not in the streets only but in private houses and families great quantities of coal were then burnt even all the summer long, and when the weather was hottest, which was done by the advice of the physicians. Some indeed opposed it, and insisted that to keep the houses and rooms hot was a means to propagate the temper, which was a fermentation and heat already in the blood, that it was known to spread an increase in hot weather and abate in cold, and therefore they alleged that all contagious distempers are the worse for heat, because the contagion was nourished and gained strength in hot weather, and was, as it were, propagated in heat. Others said they granted that heat in the climate might propagate infection, as sultry, hot weather fills the air with vermin and nourishes innumerable numbers and kinds of venomous creatures, which breed in our food, in the plants, and even in our bodies, by the very stench of which infection may be propagated. Also that heat in the air, or heat of weather, as we ordinarily call it, makes bodies relax and faint, exhausts the spirits, opens the pores, and makes us more apt to receive infection or any evil influence, be it from noxious pestilential vapors or any other thing in the air. But that the heat of fire, and especially of coal fires kept in our houses or near us, had a quite different operation, the heat being not of the same kind, but quick and fierce, tending not to nourish but to consume and dissipate all those noxious fumes which the other kind of heat rather exhaled and stagnated than separated and burnt up. Besides, it was alleged that the sulfurous and nitrous particles that are often found to be in the coal, with that bituminous substance which burns, are all assisting to clear and purge the air and render it wholesome and safe to breathe in after the noxious particles as above are dispersed and burnt up. The latter opinion prevailed at that time, and, as I must confess, I think with good reason, and the experience of the citizens confirmed it. Many houses which had constant fires kept in the room having never been infected at all, and I must join my experience to it, for I found that keeping good fires kept our room sweet and wholesome, and I do verily believe made our whole family so, more than would otherwise have been but I returned to the coals as a trade. It was with no little difficulty that this trade was kept open, and particularly because, as we were in an open war with the Dutch at that time, the Dutch capers at first took a great many of our collier ships, which made the rest cautious, and made them to stay to come in fleets together. But after some time the capers were either afraid to take them, or their masters, the states, were afraid they should, and forbade them, lest the plague should be among them, which made them fare the better. For the security of those northern traders, the coal ships were ordered by my lord mayor not to come up into the pool above a certain number at a time, and ordered lighters and other vessels, such as the woodmongers furnished, to go down and take out the coals as low as Deptford and Greenwich, and some further down. Others delivered great quantities of coals in particular places where the ships could come to the shore as at Greenwich, Blackwall, and other places, in vast heaps, as if to be kept for sale, but were then fetched away after the ships which brought them were gone, so that the seamen had no communication with the rivermen, nor so much as came near one another. Yet all this caution could not effectually prevent the distemper getting among the colliery, that is to say, among the ships, by which a great many seamen died of it, And that which was still worse was that they carried it down to Ipswich and Yarmouth, to Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and other places on the coast, where, especially at Newcastle and at Sunderland, it carried off a great number of people. The making of so many fires, as above, did indeed consume an unusual quantity of coals, and that upon one or two stops of the ships coming up, whether by contrary weather or by interruption of enemies, I do not remember, But the price of coals was exceedingly dear, even as high as 4.1 a chalder. But it soon abated when the ships came in, and as afterwards they had a freer passage, the price was very reasonable all the rest of that year. The public fires which were made on these occasions, as I have calculated it, must necessarily have cost the city about 200 chalders of coal a week if they continued, which was indeed a very great quantity but as it was thought necessary, nothing was spared. However, as some of the physicians cried them down, they were not kept alight above four or five days. The fires were ordered thus. One at the Custom House, one at Billingsgate, one at Queen Hith, and one at the Three Cranes, one in Blackfires, and one at the Gate of Bridewell, one at the corner of Leadenhall Street and Grace Church, one at the north and one at the south gate of the Royal Exchange, one at Guildhall, and one at Blackwell Hall Gate, one at the Lord Mayor's door in St. Helens, one at the west entrance into St. Paul's, and one at the entrance into Bow Church. I do not remember whether there was any at the city gates, but one at the bridge foot there was, just by St. Magnus Church. I know some have quarreled since that at the experiment, and said that there died the more people because of those fires, but I am persuaded those that say so offer no evidence to prove it, neither can I believe it on any account whatever. It remains to give some account of the state of trade at home in England during this dreadful time, and particularly as it relates to the manufactures and the trade in the city. At the first breaking out of the infection, there was, as it is easy to suppose, a very great fright among the people, and consequently a general stop of trade except in provisions and necessaries of life, and even in those things, as there was a vast number of people fled, and a very great number always sick, besides the number which died, so there could not be above two-thirds, if above one-half, of the consumption of provisions in the city as it used to be. It pleased God to send a very plentiful year of corn and fruit, but not of hay and grass, by which means bread was cheap by reason of the plenty of corn, Flesh was cheap, by reason of the scarcity of grass, but butter and cheese were dear for the same reason, and hay in the market just beyond Whitechapel Bars was sold at four pound per loaf. But that affected not the poor. There was a most excessive plenty of all sorts of fruit, such as apples, pears, plums, cherries, grapes, and they were the cheaper because of the want of people, but this made the poor eat them to excess, and this brought them into fluxes, griping of the guts, surfeits, and the like, which often precipitated them into the plague. But to come to matters of trade. First, foreign exportation being stopped, or at least very much interrupted and rendered difficult, a general stop of all those manufactures followed, of course, which were usually brought for exportation. And though sometimes merchants abroad were importunate for goods, yet little was sent the passages being so generally stopped that the English ships would not be admitted, as it is said already, into their port. This put a stop to the manufactures that were for exportation in most parts of England, except in some outports, and even that was soon stopped, for they all had the plague in their turn. But though this was felt all over England, yet what was still worse, all intercourse of trade for home consumption of manufactures. Especially those which usually circulated through the Londoners' hands, was stopped at once, the trade of the city being stopped. All kinds of handicraft in the city, tradesmen and mechanics, and so forth, were, as I have said before, out of employ, and this occasioned the putting off and dismissing an innumerable number of journeymen and workmen of all sorts, seeing nothing was done relating to such trades but what might be said to be absolutely necessary. This caused the multitude of single people in London to be unprovided for, as also families whose living depended upon the labor of the heads of those families. I say this reduced them to extreme misery, and I must confess it is for the honor of the City of London, and will be for many ages, as long as this is to be spoken of, that they were able to supply, with charitable provision, the wants of so many thousands of those as afterwards fell sick and were distressed." so that it may be safely averred that nobody perished for want, at least that the magistrates had any notice given them of. This stagnation of our manufacturing trade in the country would have put people there to much greater difficulties, but that the master workmen, clothiers, and others, to the uttermost of their stocks and strength, kept on making their goods to keep the poor at work, believing that soon as the sickness should abate, they would have a quick demand in proportion to the decay of their trade at that time. But as none but those masters that were rich could do thus, and that many were poor and not able, the manufacturing trade in England suffered greatly, and the poor were pinched all over England by the calamity of the city of London only. It is true that the next year made them full amends by another terrible calamity upon the city, so that the city by one calamity impoverished and weakened the country and by another calamity, even terrible too of its kind, enriched the country, and made them again amends, for an infinite quantity of household stuff, wearing apparel, and other things, besides whole warehouses filled with merchandise and manufactures, such as come from all parts of England, were consumed in the fire of London the next year, after this terrible visitation. It is incredible what a trade this made all over the whole kingdom, to make good the want, and to supply that loss, so that, in short, all the manufacturing hands in the nation were set on work, and were little enough for several years to supply the market and answer the demands. All foreign markets also were empty of our goods by the stop which had been occasioned by the plague, and before an open trade was allowed again, and the prodigious demand at home falling in, joined to make a quick vent for all sorts of goods, so that there never was known such a trade all over England for the time as was in the first seven years after the plague and after the fire of London.